Welcome to Inside the Castle, the podcast that goes behind castle doors to have real conversations with real people about solving the nation's toughest challenges. I'm one of your hosts for today, Lauren Lake. And I'm Aaron Schneider. Today, the Chief of Engineers, General Spellman, is joining us. General Spellman, thanks for joining us here today. Aaron, Lauren, I, uh, I greatly appreciate the invitation to join you and to have the opportunity to talk to the team. So thanks for the uh, invite. So before we dive too deep into the, the core and, you know, day-to-day life within the core, we wanted you to just tell us a little bit about yourself and where you grew up. Yeah, so I've been in the Army since I left high school. Uh, 30, I've been in the Army 34 years. In fact, I just completed my 20th move uh, with my wife, Cherise, from uh, Fort Belvoir down to uh, Fort McNair. So, so I grew up in a very small town in north-central, northwest New Jersey, town of Bloomingdale, when I was growing up, it had one stoplight. I think today it has two, maybe three. So very small. This is a formerly used to be a dairy farm country. Uh, so that's that's where I grew up. Great small town to grow up in. A very strong uh, working class community. And so you know, I, I learned uh, from my aunts, my uncles, my mom and dad, my brothers and sisters, my neighbor, just the value of of hard work and uh, perseverance. So. Uh, and as I said, I graduated from high school, went to uh, United States Military Academy at West Point uh, in 1982, graduated four, year la- four years later with the great class of 1986, and I've been uh, having my Army career ever since and have enjoyed every uh, every day of it. Great. Thank you, sir. It's interesting. We, we've had um, some previous podcasts with our other leaders, um, and uh, Mr. Lee particularly talked about coming from a small town as well. Um, so it's just interesting to see um, the, the backgrounds of our leadership and, and how that's gotten you to where you are today. Wanted to talk about, you know, this has been a challenging year. I don't think anybody can dispute that. We've particularly had um, challenges due to the civil unrest and the COVID-19 pandemic. What messages do you have for our staff as they continue to deal with the challenges of 2020? Yeah, so you're right. It has clearly been a challenging year on on multiple fronts. But like what I like to tell people, and I shared this with Secretary McCarthy when I was going through the nomination process, I think with these challenges the, the nation's been dealing with, we're not immune from them, but with those challenges come opportunities to get better. So, and, and I'm proud of our, our USACE team because I think we've been doing exactly that. And so when people think 2020 right away challenges, we go right to COVID, but look at all, look at all that we've learned about ourselves and operating in this environment. Uh, we've learned to operate in a distributed manner, which we have not done before, and we're still in, within our headquarters at the district, the regional level, and certainly here in Washington, D.C., the work is largely, it's still getting done. And I think uh, with COVID, and I would say even with some of the civil unrest that we've seen across the country, that's been challenging, but there's been opportunities, right? I think we've gotten to know ourselves a little bit better. Um, I know I've met more pets and more kids in this uh, this virtual environment, and the opportunity that uh, we have taken on uh, our listening sessions, right, on diversity, inclusion, and equity, I think we've gotten to know our, our workforce better. So I, I think it, 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 it's just going to make us uh, better. But it, it, I would say it's not just been COVID and, and some of the civil unrest. It's just we've had another, another record storm season right in the Gulf, particularly with the state of Louisiana. And if you're not aware, just the revolution, we really have had a revolution in some aspects of our disaster response. And what I'm speaking of is our, our Blue Roof program. We've made some fundamental changes 
with technology in, in the Blue River program that really paid dividends for us in the state of Louisiana. I mean, we hung 10,000 roofs in record time, and I'd be happy to talk more about that. And then I, I would just say, look, uh, we're looking at a third year in a row of a record civil works appropriation with the uh, the 21 budget. And we've had to learn how to do business better, right? We've got, we're gone from what has typically been, and I'm talking all portfolios now, not just civil works, what we have typically been uh, a 20 to $22 billion annual business for the Army and the work that we do, not just for the Army, but for the Air Force, the VA, our, uh, the combatant commanders, certainly civil works. And we've gone, last year we obligated $40 billion. So that's double, right? That's double the workload. And so the opportunity to do things different. I don't get more generals. I don't get any more district commanders. I don't get any more SESs. I don't get any more Aaron Snyders, Lauren Likes. Angie, I don't get any more people to do. So we've got to learn to do things better and deliver on these uh, massive programs. And uh, that's the path we're on. And I'm very proud of the team because I think we're making great progress. Yes, thank you, sir. And, you know, you mentioned a lot of great things that have happened during this time. And, and we can definitely delve into those a little bit further. But I know one of the things that's really on the mind of our staff is, you know, and you mentioned this, that we have been successful um, during this challenging time, particularly with um, virtual work and operating, as you mentioned, in this uh, distributed environment. So I think our staff would really like to know, you know, what does the future look like? What does our work look like in the future, our workplace? and you know, for instance, will the agency be open to more virtual positions? And if so, will we have the IT to support that? Yeah. Hey, Lord, you know, we just started out on a new USACE campaign plan. We're just, we've dusted off, we've, we've got a bit of a new framework and have outlined, uh, this is actually objective number 17 that uh, we've added right before the last executive uh, governance meeting, and we're calling it workplace of the future. So I don't know the answer to your question, but we are putting together a, a, a panel, right, of folks from the headquarters, folks from region, uh, regions, folks from districts, and all the way down to area and resident engineer office. So I want, I want to have a team that's wide and deep to take a look at the questions that, that everyone is asking. What do we look like in the future? Do we need all this space uh, in the GAO building on the third and sixth floor? I think the answer is going to be no, uh, given what we've learned so far. And what does a future a regional command headquarters like or, or a district. I don't know, but that, that's what I've asked this team to take a look at and come back to us with uh, with some recommendations. Hey, so I, I'll just share this with you. I have a, a meeting I do once a month. We call it with the Fab Five, right? So that's um, uh, several of the senior uh, executives here in headquarters, Office of Council, uh, Contracting, HR, IT. I've asked them, you know, Mr. Cooper, for example, Mr. Cooper, given everything you've learned over the past eight to nine months in COVID, would we, would you ever go back to the way we were doing business in February of this year? I mean, I, I'll be frank, I was a little bit skeptical of the, what we were going to be able to accomplish or not accomplish in this uh, virtual environment. And as were others, I mean, Mr. Steffens, uh, same uh, from from uh, resource management, Mr. Cooper, I've mentioned, uh, certainly Karen Payne, I think we're all a little bit skeptical. When I ask all five of those senior leaders in the headquarters, would we ever go back? Unanimously, the answer was no. We, we've learned some things, how we can do business better, uh, be just as efficient, but do it in a virtual manner, save cost. So we're going to go down this path, uh, Lauren. I don't know where it's going to take us, but we are taking a hard look at it. 
Thanks. I, I think I want to talk with you a little bit about our workforce. Um, so you've touched on this already and, you know, really how our budgets have been increasing. We've been getting record appropriations. We've been dealing with record storms, then dealing with the COVID emergencies. You know, when we look at what we ask of our staff day in and day out, it, it seems like it's growing every year. We're asking more of the staff, but like you said, we're not getting more people. So how do we intend to deliver the program in the future while taking care of our people and really not burning them out? Yeah. So there's a number of uh, ways we could go about that, that response, Aaron. I, I will just start with, you know, I've been a fan of delegating authority. Uh, and we worked hard with Mr. Dalton and Mr. Lee over the past couple of years down in, in Civil Works to do that. And I want to broaden that effort to other corners of the uh, enterprise and look at where where do decisions need to be made and where does work need to be done? Does everything need to come to headquarters for review and approval? So I think an example, and you're familiar with this already, 408 permissions, right? We had a, a process a little over two years ago where every 408 permission came up to headquarters for review. Look, we've got talented engineers in the field and we stopped that behavior, we stopped that practice and those decisions now are made at the district level, and, and now we're and now we're turning those those permissions that, that, that decision timeline around in like half the time that it uh, took us before, and so we've done a number of other delegations and happy to talk about any of them. But I I think where we can push down and not bring things to the Pentagon or not bring uh, decisions to the third floor of the, the GAO where we have the means and the capabilities to make those decisions out in the field. That's what uh, that's what I want to do. Yeah, I think that that's really good. And being able to delegate those decisions down to the, the field and help have those decisions at the lowest level is, I think, important. And it helps have the experts be the ones making those decisions. You know, one thing we've heard about a lot is, you know, the core can be a little bit bureaucratic. If you look in the media once in a while, it, it talks about the, the slow, slowness of the agency. And some of that, I think, may come from our structure. And, and we were wondering if you know, do you think we have the right mix of districts and divisions? And has is your team and in looking at revolutionized civil works, is, is any consideration being given to consolidation of some of these districts that we have or even consolidations of headquarters with the MSCs to make us a flatter organization to allow some of this decision making to happen faster? Yeah, Aaron, I, I have not made that part of the campaign plan. This is that we call this the, the flags, uh, the, the flags discussion. Uh, do we want to look at taking down uh, districts or do we want to look at taking down uh, regional uh, headquarters? I, I'm not uh, today. General Scott Spum is not open to that discussion, right? Because I, I think it gets I think we need every senior leader that we have right now in the core to deliver on this massive. Um, I mentioned $40 billion worth of investment last year. And you know we have about 68 billion worth of work already on the uh, the books. I, I think we need every senior leader and, and the staffs that that we have currently to to deliver on that program and to provide the uh, the proper oversight for it. So I haven't entertained the uh, the, the the flag argument um, as I as I refer to it. You know we can our districts can can span, expand and contract depending on the workload, and we fully ex expect them to do that uh, as they work through their uh, workload and, and workforce assessments in the uh, in the out years. But I, I, again, I'm not repeating myself here. I, I just have not, I'm not ready to take on the um, the argument that we may need less senior executives or, or less general officers or, or less colonels uh, providing oversight for these programs out in the field. If that was, if that answers your question. Yeah, most certainly, thank you. 
And so, sir, you talked about, um, you know, delivering our mission and, and how important it is that we have everybody on board to do that, um, including our leadership. And so talking about our staff, you know, they look to our leaders and it really is important that our leadership is inspiring. What should our leaders be doing to inspire staff and how should we inspire the next generation? Yeah, I, I think inspiration comes with, maybe I'm a bit old school here, but I, what inspires me is the challenge. Right, and and we certainly have. Last year we had forty billion dollars worth of challenges, and we have more on the other way. So that I think we we have the challenge in front of us in the trust that the Congress and the nation has given us with the with the tremendous workload that we have in front of us. I th I think it all starts. Uh, a big part of this is also a a positive command climate. And if you haven't heard, that's like number one on my command philosophy. I think we have got to do everything we can not just here in the headquarters, but also out in our nine regional commands and our 44 districts, we've got to do everything we can to, one, have a positive command climate, and then we've got to do, you've got to work hard every day to uh, maintain it. And I think we saw today, if you're, if you're not aware, the Army released uh, its findings of, of what had occurred down at uh, Fort Hood, Texas, and you can see some pretty harmful effects when you, when you start to lose a positive command climate. So that's, I think that's always got to be job one for us as commanders and at leaders at every level is, is working on that. And then the other thing I like to tell folks, I, I don't think as a senior leader we can ever say thank you enough to our, our, our workforce. And it, it doesn't cost us anything. It only takes a little bit of time. But you, you just think about the last time, you know, maybe your supervisor or the director of civil works or the DCG for civil and emergency operations said thank you to, uh, to the team. And maybe slapped a coin on a uh, on one of our employees. I, I have a program, I, I'm using helmet stickers, that, which it, in some corners are a bit more popular than coins, uh, that we put on our, our hard hats when I'm visiting folks out in the field. And just taking the opportunity to say thank you to people uh, for the long hours and the hard work they're put, that they're putting in, I, I think that goes uh, a long way as well. I've made people my, uh, my number one priority, just like the Army has, and uh, want to get after a, n a number of people initiatives and uh, as long as I'm in the, this position as the uh, 55th Chief of Engineers. Yes, thank you, sir. And I, I personally think that those thank yous do go a long way, for sure, in, in building that positive command climate. And, you know, part of that uh, positive command climate is also building trusting teams. And so we wanted to talk a little bit about um, trust and account accountability. You know, what are your rec recommendations on ways to make trust and accountability more of a priority in culture within the organization to help you build that positive command climate. Yeah. Hey, Lauren, so you're, you're familiar, and I think most, most of our listeners will be familiar with the work that we've done with delegations. So when you delegate authority, right, down to a region or down to a district, we're saying, look, I, I trust you. I trust you to, to do the right thing. If you need help, come up on the net, but I'm, I'm trusting you to make these decisions on behalf of the agency moving forward. We've, and some of our listeners have heard this vignette before, so, but just it, it, it bears repeating, so just bear with me for a moment. We fell into this process over time, and I'm, go, and I'm going back a number of years, in some cases I'm going back decades, where, you know, we have a, a project out in the field that a, you know, a district commander or a DPM makes a decision and the project goes sideways. We, we bust schedule or we break budget. The Corps of Engineers, we're a proud institution. We've been around for 245 years. We, we, make it, we, say, we say to ourselves, well, we're never going to let that happen again. So not only are we going to take that decision away from district number 20, 
in the future, we're going to take that district, that, that decision away from all 44 districts, because we're never going to let that happen again. And we're going to elevate the decision to the region, or we're going to elevate it to the headquarters, or the assistant secretary is going to elevate it to his or her level. And then that happens, and this, this is true, that, that happens over and over, over a period of time. And then you wake up one morning and you realize that you have centralized so much decision-making in Washington, D.C., that you have really hampered the efforts of the folks uh, out in the field. And so that, that's one of the things I want to reverse. So, look, it's construction. Things at times are going to go sideways. We fight weather. We fight COVID. We fight labor. We fight materials. Things are going to go sideways. If we make a mistake, look, let's just own it, right? Let's, let's hold people accountable where it happened, right? Let's learn from it. Let's make sure everyone learns from it. Uh, and share best practices and lessons learned, but let's not centralize and, and over-centralize like we've done in the past. Let's keep moving forward um, after we have an opportunity to learn from our mistakes. Yeah, that's really exciting to hear you talk about that and, and say that, you know, we're not going to have that knee-jerk reaction, and, you know, we're not going to hear that this will never happen again. It's more about learning from it and realizing um, right. what happened in that circumstance and then adjusting, um, but not taking the authority away from everybody um, because right. of one bad situation. So I think that's really exciting. And, you know, maybe I want to talk a little bit about the campaign plan. And you mentioned, you know, you're, you're leading with a new framework. You talked about people being number one. And I know your, your other priorities are, are readiness, partnership, and revolutionize. I, I want to be honest, like this campaign plans haven't been the most exciting for me in the past. And I know when I was in the district, the only reason I cared about a campaign plan was just so I could prep for an interview. I want to know, like, what is different about your vision for the campaign plan? And, and what are you going to do differently to really allow districts and staff at all levels to work together to achieve this vision um, that you're trying to achieve? Yeah. So, Aaron, as, as I was going through the uh, the interview process uh, for this job, one of the questions I had, you know, if you were to be nominated and confirmed, we'd like you to come back and outline for us what, what do you think the next campaign plan looks like for the Army Corps of Engineers and, and what will be your, your priorities after you have a chance to do your assessment. Well, I'm not a stranger. To, I'm not coming in from the outside. I've been with the Corps for the, uh, the past five years. And so, so much of what I wanted to get started with on the next version of the USAID campaign plan was really unfinished business from what, what I took with me from the other end of the hallway, which were really some things that I thought were, you mentioned uh, WIFIA, I'm thinking of things like continuing contract authority and multi-year capital investment strategy. Just did not get there uh, far down the line as I wanted to when I was the deputy commanding general. So I brought those forward with me down this end of the hall because I, I think I can help drive those. And then I wanted to expand this effort because I really do believe the Civil Works has been has been on the leading edge of this revolutionized effort uh, for us and has made some really positive and superb gains. But I, I wanted to expand and deepen and accelerate that effort to other corners of the enterprise, to our military program, to our R&D program, which I'm, I'm really excited about. I've got to get some funding for. To me, these initial 16, 17 areas, Aaron and Lauren, these were just a starting point for me, a starting point of discussion. But four years is not a lot of time for a chief to get some things done. So I didn't want to spend two or three cycles of executive governance meetings debating the framework for the, for the next USAID campaign plan. We've done that in the past. I'm less fussed about the framework. I want the, the Army leadership to see that we're nested with them and they're comfortable with the framework we've chosen. It's more me about the actionable objectives that we're going to pursue and uh, hold ourselves accountable to, to milestones and deliverables to make us better and faster at finishing quality projects projects on time 
uh, and within within budget. That's what it's all about uh, for me. Thanks. And I've heard you talk in the past about, you know, empowering the, the district commanders and empowering staff. And it seems to me like the campaign plan that you've structured here is really more intended to kind of give the, the staff something to shoot for, but now you know what to work within. So it's not necessarily going to be specific, hey, knock down this exact target. It's going to say, we want to work within these broad areas to make the organization better. And you're free to operate within these bounds. Is that a correct way to, to summarize the campaign plan and why it should be important to people of the district? Yeah, Aaron, that's it. I think we have and it will work harder to communicate this, but to me, it is a descriptive. Uh, it's a descriptive framework. So, the USACE campaign plan. You saw the four lines of effort and the initial objective areas that we're pursuing. That's what I, I, we can do at our level to better enable regions and districts to finish quality projects on time within budget. Right. That's the, the, those are things that we need to do here in Washington D.C. with Congress, with the Secretary, uh, with OMB, our, our partners at this level. When it goes down to a region, when it goes down to a district, I expect them, if they have a different framework, that's fine. But as long as they're pursuing the meaningful objectives, they're going to get after that end state, right, finishing. I'll leave it up to them to pick the right uh, tasks and objectives. But, I, I mean, I want to know what they are, and I certainly want to help where I can. But I want them doing everything at their level within the district headquarters, within the regional level, to enable those PDTs to uh, get after delivery. Yeah, no, that's that's great. And I think enabling the PDTs is the key there. And, and you know, and that really leads to, to innovation. And, and, you know, what you talked about earlier with, you know, with you, multi-year investment strategy, you know, those are innovative ideas. And it seems like those have to get generated somewhere. And then a lot of times we have a lot of ideas at the district level and staff has ideas, but they might not necessarily have the resources to pursue those. And I know an example, um, you know, within districts is that you have a good idea, but unless you have a direct charge code to be able to spend the time on to develop that idea and implement it, you, you really don't have those opportunities. And I know that there's a lot of companies out there that dedicate time to staff where they can sit and be innovative and creative. And it doesn't seem like we have that flexibility in the core when we have some of these metrics that we're chasing. I want to know, you know, what can be done to free up some time for innovation at the districts and across the organization where we can take these great ideas and let them grow? Um, is there something that we should be doing and that those local commanders should be doing to facilitate that? Yeah, I, I don't know that, you know, it, it, innovation seems to come out of necessity. So I'll, I'll just give you an example, and I'll bring it back to the core in a moment. But in, in a previous assignment, before I came to the core five years ago, I, I, I was the commander of an organization called Operational Test Command. So this is an organization that is the final gateway before the Army is going to purchase or send back into development its new system. So we tested everything from new parachutes to new cannons to new rifles to new Intel systems. And we would take systems that had passed laboratory testing, meaning they were safe, they were functional, and then we would put them out in the field with a company, a battalion, or a brigade of soldiers, and we would turn them loose. Hey, tell us, and you know, soldiers will find a great ways to break things that you know a lab technician never will. And so we, 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 the systems just got better. And they would say, hey, General, if you just if this system had this functionality, or if we added this to the rifle, or if we added this to the cannon, it would be so much better. So it, it, innovation was was born out of necessity because these were the, the people that were going to have to actually employ these systems in training and in, in combat. 
So I think there's a, a, a great analogy here in the uh, the core. So I mentioned our, our workloads double at the moment what it's been historically. Now is the time to innovate, and it, it, it has to come out of necessity. So let's let I mentioned the Blue Roof program earlier. Let me give an example. We didn't give the Blue Roof guys any more and gals any more time. Hey, go off for you know in between storm seasons here. I'm going to give you some money. I just want you to think how we can do Blue Roofs better. No, it was it was out of necessity. So they enabled some technology that was out there. Typically, uh, if you're not familiar with storm response, what we had done in the past, when an individual loses his roof, his or her roof in a storm, we would go there with an assessment team. The assessment team pulls out a ladder, it goes up on the roof after it gets a right of entry, and it will take some measurements and it will go back uh, with a paper copy to the, uh, the field headquarters and they'll design that roof, determine if it qualifies, and then they'll put it in the queue, and then maybe a few days later we'll go back and, and, and hang that roof. That is very time consuming and, and labor intensive. So what did we do this year in the state of Louisiana? Well, we used some imagery technology, right? So we know when the storm's coming, we have a pretty good idea from forecasting where it's going to uh, impact and what neighborhood's going to impact. Contracted with the imagery service to fly that uh, those neighborhoods pre-storm. When the storm passes, we use the same imagery service and we fly that uh, those neighborhoods again and we get a picture of what those neighborhoods look like after the storm has passed. We take that, uh, that information, Aaron, and we use imagery now to do all of the measuring and assessments where we used to send people out in the neighborhoods with ladders and, and, uh, and tape measures. And then we're deploying less people because it's people in Omaha district that are actually getting this work, doing the assessments, writing the performance workstation several states away, and then sending it to our subcontractors out in the field. That was fundamentally different and a revolutionary change in how we went about that. And as I mentioned, we, uh, the team, emplaced over 10,000 blue roofs in a record amount of time in the state of Louisiana following uh, Hurricane Laura and the, the subsequent storms that, uh, that followed. But again, it wasn't because we gave them time or gave them any more resources to get after it. It was, it was folks that were in the need that, that, uh, that made that happen. And that's just one of a, a, a number of examples I would mention. Great, sir. Yeah, I mean, as somebody who's uh, who's dealt with hurricanes before, you know that the timely response of our staff um, getting out there or getting those roofs on for for folks in need is is amazing, and it's great to see that we've uh, implemented those innovations going forward. I know that uh, folks will be very appreciative and look forward to to more of these opportunities and um, to innovate as we as we move forward. Thinking about our partners going forward, um, you know, you, you gave an example of, of the folks that we're helping out there on the field, but we also work with a lot of partners throughout our projects and our organization to both implement projects and, and achieve success uh, through other efforts. And so wanted to, to talk about particularly our external partners and ask you what do you expect of leaders at all levels regarding partnering, particularly with a focus on those external partners. Yeah, I, I think the first thing I would say, Lauren, is don't overthink this, commanders. I want you to be good partners. I just want you to be a good partner. And at all levels, uh, at, at the headquarters, at the region, down at the district, and, and with the PDTs. So an example I'll use, I, I, had a, I had a meeting today. It's the third annual meeting that uh, the Chief of Engineers has hosted with the six CEOs and presidents of the hopper dredge industry. And we've had some challenges in the past with dredging down at the tactical level. We are, we're having some cost estimating issues. We've had some scheduling issues. We've had some coordination issues. 
And so uh, General Semenite, for the right reason, said, you know what, why don't we elevate some of this, and I will host this meeting. And so I had the opportunity to host it today, and we have come so far in a positive direction, not only in our relationships, but in, in some of the hard issues that we're wrestling with out in the field. And it has made a fundamental positive difference in, in our program, which is growing. The Dredge program, if you're not aware, is, is growing exponentially, and, and we have to maintain this level of, of partnership at, at all levels. And it can't just be, you know, the chief of engineers or, or the DCG for civil emergency operations or, or the director of military programs. We've got to drive this down to the lowest levels of our organization. I, I say it this way. I don't think we have a, a partnering issue. I, I think we have a consistency issue. And, and what I mean by that is I've seen districts that do this extremely well. And we in PDTs that do this extremely well, and there are countless examples out there. And then we have other districts and other PDTs, frankly, that don't do it very well at all. And I want to level the bubble so I, I on this and, and, and improve our consistency in, in this department. So I think there's an education component to this that I want to bring into our onboarding processes, into our pre-command courses, and certainly into our, our command strategic reviews, which we just started up again uh, this week with our first one in the past 42 months. We just wrapped up a, a command strategic review out at Transatlantic Division. So I think there's an education component to it. I think there's a, a lessons learned component to it that I would like to bring into our executive governance meeting. In fact, we just did that uh, this past month uh, on some partnering uh, challenges that New Orleans District and Kansas City District face. And so some great sharing of, of lessons learned there. And I just want to raise visibility on this across the uh, the board on some of the challenges that we're having and what some successful commanders and DPMs are doing to get after these challenges and inconsistencies. Yeah, I think that's good. And one thing that, that seems to be a, a strong suit that you had, I've, I've seen you speak a number of times, and um, how you communicate with folks. It seems like you're very open and transparent in your, in your communications. And sometimes within the Corps of Engineers, you know, I think maybe we communicate a little too technical or a little bureaucrat too bureaucratic. Um, it seems like communications have been really important. And I think in particular, you were talking to groups about water supply and some of the challenges there, but you were very open and transparent. Do you want to just talk a little bit about communications and the importance to partnering and, and how that can bring people to the table? I think the, the water supply is, is a great example, Aaron. You know, this topic, uh, we had Army senior leaders being held up in, in the confirmation process over the topic of water supply. I learned that uh, after several of these, to include the Chief of Staff in the Army, the Undersecretary of the Army, that, uh, wow, what's going on here? There, there's a problem. And if you're not familiar, water supply gets technical very, very quickly. With Mr. Dalton's help, uh, we dove into the pool, so to speak, on this one to get a, what, what are the specific issues that uh, that are out there? And uh, when we got into the pool and started to uh, wrestle with some of these issues, we didn't necessarily didn't like the position that we had found ourselves in. I had uh, spoken with a number of state attorney generals, a number of governors, a number of elected leaders, particularly from Western states, but not 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 solely Western states, that said to me things like. I'm going back now to the former water supply rule. Hey, Spellman, you know, we we have been asked to consult with the core headquarters on this, and we were told by senior leaders within the core that, that we'll talk to you after the water supply rule was passed. I, I didn't believe that. I, I, did, I did not believe that statement until I went and found those uh, senior leaders who were uh, mentioned that made those comments. And 
guess what? What the stakeholders were telling our partners were telling us were right. We did say those type of things. And that's just not who we are as an agency, right? And so on, on things like this, uh, what I've learned is we've got to do our best to take the complicated and put it in our best plain English for the American public and their elected leaders and others to uh, to understand. And I think we've done that on, on water supply, but there are many, many other opportunities out there where we've got to uh, we've got to bring that focus to it, and better serve and better communicate the Ameri- to to the uh, to the American people because it's just it, it it benefits everyone. Yeah, and communications is a key part of the revolutionized civil works effort. And and you talked earlier about you know coming from the other end of the building and you know being part of the revolutionized efforts. I want to talk a little bit about revolutionized civil works and where do you see that initiative going and really what does that mean to you? Yeah, so others have heard me say this before, but I appreciate the opportunity to talk a little bit about it. To me, the revolutionized, it's, it, it's a mindset. And the mindset that everything ought to be on the table when we're trying to get better at finishing quality projects on time within budget. So if it's a policy change here in the headquarters or maybe in the secretary's office or at the Department of the Army, if it's going to allow us to do something faster at lower cost, and get it done with uh, with better quality. Why not go and ask for that uh, that policy change? Or, or maybe it's 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 legislation. Why can't we go back to the hill and explain to uh, our elected leaders? Wow, you know, if, if if we could get an amendment to this law or a change in this law, this is the positive impact that it would have. And then, I, I mean, you all know this. There are just countless examples in the last several words where Congress is helping us get better. I can give several examples of where the Pentagon. And the Assistant Secretary's Office has also recognized the need for changing in some policies, and, and we've gotten that. I just want district commanders and I want DPMs to be thinking, don't, don't handcuff yourself, don't suffer in silence. If there's something out there that we need to change, let's go and, let's go and ask for it. Great. Thank you. Yeah, and I, I think that's, that's a great comment there, and I hope that others, um, others take that to heart, too, as we move forward. You know, I appreciate your your comments today, particularly challenging our staff and and challenging our leaders to you know really move forward with partnering and to take the challenges that this uh, that 2020 has given us and really use those to make ourselves better and and good to hear that you've um, really seen that we've we've used these opportunities to really improve the agency overall and hopefully we continue to do that going forward. You know we're we're about at the end of our time today, and so I wanted to ask you, sir, if you have any final thoughts for us or, or things we didn't touch on that you wanted to uh, talk about today. I just, Lauren and Aaron, thanks again for this opportunity. I just want our, our leaders, our engineers, uh, all of our, our teammates here in the Corps just to keep pushing the uh, the envelope. And I, I use the term, hey, don't, don't suffer in silence. If, if you're wrestling with an issue down in district number 20, Look, I, I want you to work hard on it, and I want you to, to, to come up on the net when you need help. Tell us, you know, tell us what the issue is. Tell us what you've done about it, and then let us know uh, how we can help. Because I, I think that's only going to make us a, a better organization. And, and don't hold on to things for so long, because we we have a tendency as engineers, as scientists, that uh, like we we don't want to raise issues to our boss. My boss is busy. Uh, I'm going to work as hard as I can to solve this at my level. And and if we're not careful, and you know, weeks can go by or months can go by before uh, we we uh, ask for help. So I just challenge everyone to uh, to uh, take that into consideration. And then, and also, as I'll just end where I started, you know, we've got a lot of challenges uh, out there, uh, certainly with the pandemic. 
challenges with this workload uh, that we're under. You know, look at these challenges as opportunities to fundamentally change the way we go about doing business and how can we do it better by putting everything on the table. And uh, where we need help in policy or law, we, we ought to be able to ask for that. The last thing I would say is, look, the holidays are, are coming up. And it has been a, a, a hard year for uh, for everyone. And I just want people to, you've got to take leave. You have got to take leave to, uh, to decompress and spend time with your family. I want everyone to do that and enjoy this holiday season uh, as best you can in the, uh, the current environment. Uh, see as much as your family that you can possibly see in, in a safe manner, because we all need you back safe and healthy uh, following the new year, because it, it's going to bring new challenges to all of us. General Stalin, I'd love to have you back on the show again. Um, so hopefully maybe we can schedule that and get some more uh, questions from our audience. Uh, but thank you for joining us today for this edition of Inside the Castle. We appreciate you and your willingness to be open with us and to share your insights. To our listeners, we want to hear from you, what topics are important to you, and people you're interested in hearing from. Until next time, be safe, be innovative, and be revolutionary. To provide your feedback, email us at cw.infrastructure.team at usace.army.mil. Stay tuned for additional Inside the Castle podcasts as we explore life inside the core and revolutionize civil works together.